Welcome to Abide in Liberty, a podcast empowering patriots everywhere to re-enthrone faith, family, and freedom as the bedrock pillars of liberty in education, our communities, and our nation. Hello, and welcome back, everybody, for another episode of Abide in Liberty. You know, as I was um, editing my last podcast episode and listening to myself say that, yes, indeed, I do want to impose my moral code on the rest of the country, I realize that might have come across a little bit harsh. And although I do stand by that statement 100%, I wanted to give a little more background and context to why not only do I think that saying that is not me trying to be a tyrant. It's not tyrannical. It's not dictatorial. It's not wrong at all. In fact, it's something that we are all duty-bound to try to do. So, um, first of all, that's the whole reason why we have a republic where we rely on the voice of the people to guide this country, to guide its direction. As we were going back through the 5,000 Dear Leap Principles, majority rule was an important principle that we should, that a sound government and a lasting republic has to rely on. And my saying that I want my viewpoint to win the day is is true, and I think that's true of everybody. And that's where the democratic or the Republican process comes in. When you have folks who come together and they vote, they vote their conscience, they vote for the policies, they vote for what they want. If the majority agrees with you, you get what you guys want. And if not, if you're in the if you're in the minority, then you are duty bound to accept the will of majority, even though you don't necessarily like it. So yes, I would love for Christian morality to be what wins the day. And if we have a majority that agrees and will vote and act the same way, then that's what we get. Now, there's a caveat to that, of course, and that's so long as we're not trampling or violating the rights of the minority. And that's why the Constitution was put in place. We've talked about this before The Constitution, the Bill of Rights, was put in place so that a simple majority couldn't trample on the rights of the minority, right? If if I can get enough people together that says that everybody with purple hair should give me all of their money or should give all of those of us who don't have purple hair their money, then according to simple majority rule, they would just be out of luck, those poor purple-haired people. Um, But because we have a Bill of Rights, because we have a Constitution that protects the rights of the minorities, we can't just go by simple majority rule. Now, fortunately, we do have a Constitution that was built on Christian principles. And so Christian morality, the Christian idea of what is right and wrong, winning the day is not um, against the Constitution, so long as we're not, again, infringing on the rights of people to believe what they want to believe. Um, So going back to what I said last week, I was simply saying that I have a right to, in this country, push for the Christian moral code through the democratic process, as long as we're not violating the rights of the minority, rights that are outlined in the Constitution 
we are well within our rights, you and I, all of us, to do the same, to push for a legal code that supports a morality that um, aligns with Christianity. We have the right to do that. It's okay for me to want that. And it's okay for you to want that. It's not bad. It's not evil. It's not imposing. It's not tyrannical. It's democratic for all of us to take what we want to see, the direction that we want to see our country go, and and cast our vote accordingly. But I want to take that a step further now. And that's that we have more than just a right to push for that. We have a duty to do that. In Mosiah chapter 29, verses 25 through um, 26, there's a king in the Book of Mormon named Mosiah who, when his sons decide they don't want anything to do with becoming the next king, he decides to set up a democratic system of government. This is one of the few times in history that we can look to where there was a peaceful transition from a um, a monarchy or an all-powerful ruler to democracy. And this king did this voluntarily. And because of that, he was highly loved and respected by his people. But here's what he had to say about the importance of the voice of the people and doing our business in a society by the voice of the people. And what he means by that is by the voice of the majority. He says, therefore, choose you by the voice of this people judges that ye may be judged according to the laws which have been given you by our fathers, which are correct and which are given them by the hand of the Lord. Now, it is not common that the voice of the people desireth anything contrary to that which is right, but it is common for the lesser part of the people to desire that which is not right. Therefore, this shall ye observe and make it your law to do your business by the voice of the people. Now, that only works, and that is only true if the majority is actually exercising their voices, if they're saying what they want, what they feel, and not giving up ground to the minority that doesn't want what is right. And here's the thing that I I scratch my head over And I think this is another one of Satan's lies that we as Christians have uh, fallen victim to. He's convinced us that docility is what is meant by humility, and it's not. We are duty-bound to use our voices to promote what is good and what is righteous and not cave in to the demands of the few because we don't want to ruffle feathers. Now, you might say, look, Christ is kindness and love. and yes. He is. That is 100% true. You might say that he doesn't want me to ruffle feathers, that that's not kind. <laughs> if, if that's the Christ that you've come to learn, you need to pick up the New Testament. He said, come follow me, and he ruffled feathers. So much so that they killed him in the most brutal, heinous way that they knew of at the time. That's how much he ruffled their feathers. Now, he wasn't a jerk about it, and we shouldn't be either. This isn't saying that kindness is sarcasm or that kindness is um, is attacking and that kindness is um, being belligerent or talking down to people. It's none of those things. And Christ wasn't any of those things. He was the Lamb of God, but he was also a lion. Think Aslan in the Chronicles of Narnia. There's a reason why C.S. Lewis cast the Christ figure as a lion. 
We have got to stop hiding behind Christ's love and kindness because we're too afraid to follow him in the boldness and in the bravery that ended on Calvary and on the cross. And the reason why he was so bold and so brave, the reason why he ruffled people's feathers stemmed from his love. He knew that calling out wickedness and boldly inviting the wicked to repent was the ultimate act of love and kindness. He knew that wickedness never was and never could be happiness and allowing people to wallow in filth without trying to pull them out of the mire isn't kind at all. That's easier for us. It's easier for us to not say that because it's uncomfortable to call people to repentance. It's a, it's uncomfortable to be the one that's the target. So we got to stop trying to convince ourselves that we're being kind. We're being kind to ourselves. It's selfish by letting people blindly continue practices that they can't possibly find true and lasting happiness in. More on this topic and what we can expect if the voice of the people actually does choose wickedness. You know, Mosiah was talking about that it's not common for the majority to choose it. But what happens if if we have a majority that does choose wickedness? Alma 10, verses 19 through 20, a missionary named Amulek teaching um, a wicked people in a city called Ammonihah says this. And he's actually, he's referring back, this is some years later, but he's referring back to King Mosiah. He's kind of quoting what we just read from King Mosiah. He said, Yea, well did Mosiah say, who was our last king, when he was about to deliver up the kingdom, having no one to confer it upon, causing that this people should be governed by their own voices. Yea, well did he say that if the time should come that the voice of this people should choose iniquity, that is, if the time should come that this people should fall into transgression, they would be ripe for destruction. And now I say unto you that well doth the Lord judge of your iniquities. Well doth he cry unto this people by the voice of his angels, repent ye, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then later, um, as Moroni is finishing his compilation of the Book of Mormon in Ether chapter 2, verses 9-11, Moroni says, And now we can behold the decrees of God concerning this land. He's talking about the promised land or the Americas, where we are now. That it is a land of promise. And whatsoever nation shall possess it shall serve God. Shall is the language of commandment. He goes on to say, Or they shall be swept off when the fullness of his wrath shall come upon them. And the fullness of his wrath cometh upon them when they are ripened in iniquity. For behold, this is a land which is choice above all other lands. Wherefore, he that doth possess it shall serve God or shall be swept off, for it is the everlasting decree of God. And it is not until the fullness of iniquity among the children of the land that they are swept off. And this cometh unto you, O ye Gentiles, that ye may know the decrees of God, that ye may repent and not continue in your iniquities until the fullness come, that ye may not bring down the fullness of the wrath of God upon you as the inhabitants of the land have hitherto done. And then later again, repeating the same theme in Ether chapter 9, verse 20. And thus the Lord did pour out his blessings upon this land, which was choice above all other lands. And he commanded that whoso should possess the land should possess it unto the Lord, or they should be destroyed when they were ripened in in iniquity. For upon such, saith the Lord, I will pour out the fullness of my wrath. You know, we keep giving up ground 
and stifling our beliefs in the name of being quote-unquote nice. We allowed God to be thrust out of schools. This was blatantly unconstitutional, but we don't want to offend someone, so we'll sacrifice our kids to atheistic propaganda. Abortion was originally promoted as something that should be legal, safe, and rare. In in the very rare circumstances of um, incest, rape, or the life of the mother. And now we have states that are passing laws that allow abortion up to birth. And we've got people in the streets shouting their abortions, proudly proclaiming the slaughter of their children. We allowed marriage to become redefined. You know, we talked about, you know, if you if you start down that slippery slope, normalizing pedophilia would be next. And that was crazy talk. And yet here we are. And we've come so far that people protesting kids being allowed to attend drag strip shows are the crazy hateful ones. Our quote unquote niceness is going to lead, if these scriptures can be believed, to misery, death, and destruction for everyone. And how nice is that? Are we really doing anyone any favors? Is allowing our kids, grandkids, and those who prefer wickedness to reap the punishments promised by God if our nation chooses wickedness kind? You might say, well, I'm not choosing the wickedness. I'm just not getting in the way of those who do. And you might agree with me when I say that I still think that the majority of this country is good are, are people who believe still. And that number's dwindling fast, but I think that's still true. I hope that that's true. But if it is, if we still have a righteous, good majority, then how in the world is it that so much evil has become so widespread, so accepted, and so celebrated. And I think it comes down to the fact that we may not be actively choosing wickedness, but we are allowing it to spread by our inaction and by not actively choosing and promoting righteousness. If that Christian majority is too nice to follow Christ, the lamb, and the lion in proclaiming truth and decrying wickedness in all of its insidious forms, then we are using our voices the silence of our voices, that is, to choose iniquity and invite the promised devastation. We've got to stop just whispering our faith only in our homes and in our churches. Remember what Paul said in Romans chapter 1, verse 16? For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. That is true. It is a salvation to everyone that believeth. Everyone. That's a pretty high percentage word. If there are people out there that can have the gall to shout something as abhorrent as their abortion, why in the world should we be afraid to shout our discipleship? It's way past time that we do. It is way past time that we boldly stand as witnesses of Christ at all times and in all places. In the words of my 14-year-old son, let's go. Let's do this. It is time to open our mouths and make our voices heard. Thank you for listening to Abide in Liberty. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes and share this with friends and family. 
In the meantime, keep up with the show online at AbideInLiberty.com. Also, if you'd like to help our K-12 bless and educate more families, contact us by visiting LibertyYouthAcademy.org. Until next time, be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, and be strong.